0: Good afternoon, everybody. Come on in, plenty of seats. Bring your dessert. My name is Tim Condon. I'm the energy and sustainability lead at Jones Lang LaSalle. We're the sponsors of the sustainability learning summit thing that you're in right now. So welcome. Uh, We're, you know, we, we take a responsible and sustainable approach to everything that we do around the future of real estate. So we're excited to have you here. I'm here to introduce John Pandorf, who's going to talk to you today about the new ESG, important topic, committing to embodied carbon. So that, I'll turn it over to John. Thank you very much. All right. Well, thanks, Tim. I'm going to try to be loud. Does that work? Okay. Great. All right. Well, thanks for uh, choosing this session. Uh, There's actually another learning session at one o'clock that I wanted to go to, so I'm glad you're all here with me. Appreciate that. there's been a lot of talk about carbon already at this conference, which I am super excited about because that means hopefully this is not the first time you're hearing the word carbon or embodied carbon in the past three days. Um, so why, why all the fuss? Why are we starting here? Um, I'll go through this fairly quickly because these are the downer slides. This is why we're doing it, but this is not the most um, uplifting part of the conversation. Um, As human industry has increased the levels of carbon trapped in the Earth's atmosphere, the solar heat gain also gets trapped, this is the phenomenon of global warming, and um, heat has to travel from hot to cold unless there's a thermal barrier in the way, and essentially that's what we've created. So we've got some work to do because this is important for a number of reasons. First of all, for the planet. Um, The planet is our means of existence uh, as a society, as a humanity. Um, And it it has far-reaching implications aside from the fact that it's just getting warmer. more more personal to us is that it is uh, having significant implications on human health and well-being. Uh, where I live in Washington, D.C., we have an increase in code red days. These are days where um, uh, the mean outdoor temperature and uh, the, the combination of temperature and relative humidity are so high that air quality is actually very poor for people who have uh, any sort of respiratory illness, uh, the elderly, the young, um, they open cooling centers. Uh, but it's, again, not just about the heat. It's about the increase in these respiratory diseases that are caused by by um, exacerbated temperatures. It's localized air quality issues, especially in the summer, increases in number of storms, but then also it's starting to affect things like our water quality, our um, growing seasons. It has far-reaching implications. All of this because we are putting carbon into the atmosphere. Conversely, designing to reduce embodied carbon starts to address these issues at the supply chain level And it can also support environmental social governance goals. And while carbon is a naturally occurring element, there's a significant evidence that too much of it causes a number of these stresses to to our well-being. So how do we reduce it in our built environment and then be able to talk about it and it becomes part of our story? So first, just want to quickly define embodied carbon because it's not the gray smoke you see coming out of a smokestack, right? It's not the pollution from the energy used to power our buildings. Embodied carbon is the amount of carbon dioxide that a material or system represents based on its ingredients, where they were harvested from, the transportation that is needed to get the ingredient from its initial location to the factory, the energy it takes to actually put the, put the product or system together before it even gets to our project site, our, our, our space. It also t- starts to consider the end-of-life potential that the project, the product might have, whether that is recyclability, does it biodegrade, is it reusable, does it actually have a longer useful life than the term of a lease? Um, so these are all things that we try to capture in the embodied carbon of a product or system. A lot of... Great organizations have done a lot of good work in terms of research about the current situation for embodied carbon, but also the potential. So, um, This graph shows that uh, new construction from 2020 to 2050, we're actually going to see almost an equal amount of carbon released into the atmosphere comparing embodied carbon to operational carbon if nothing is, is done, if we are doing business as usual from 2020. Um, LMN Consulting put this graph together, but I think it's really compelling, especially for people who deal with lease turnover. Um, this graph, if you can follow this logic here, the, um, the embodied carbon in the structure is the blue bar. So, that's once you build the building, that's there, right? If that building is there for 50 or 100 years, that's there. Um, The orange bar is the envelope. So, again, once the envelope's there, probably isn't going anywhere. But the red bars... Are the interiors. The red bars are understanding that every five, seven, or ten years, there's going to be a refresh. Either the lease is going to turn over or they're going to renovate in place, whether it's a, an owner occupier or whether that it's a, a tenant driven um, building. So that over the life of that building, the embodied carbon of the building is actually greatly more impacted by all of those lease turnovers and the material going in and out of the building through those different tenant fit outs than the initial embodied carbon of the structure itself. So when we're dealing with interior spaces in particular, as we refresh them, as we renovate them, or as we turn them over, paying attention to the embodied carbon of the materials that we choose to put in those buildings has a pretty significant impact on the total carbon picture of the of the building or project. So, what we want to do is start changing the conversation, and there 's been a lot of really great conversations started at this conference already about how to start to account for embodied carbon in your uh, in your ESG goals in your carbon accounting goals. This is something that typically will fall into that scope three category for those of you who do this on a regular basis, but we think that there 's also a pretty good story to tell in terms of um, what the message is back to investors, what the message is back for recruitment and retention. So, how do we use embodied carbon and the lowering of embodied carbon to, to tell an end-user story, a client's story, not just ours? Um, a couple of tidbits of research. Some of this may not be news to you, but um, we're obviously seeing a lot more investment in sustainability. Uh, this Morgan Stanley report seeing that uh, um, 80% in 2019 were actively uh, investing in integrated sustainability, uh, and that's up from just two years prior. Um, I won't bore you with all of these reports, but some of them are quite impactful with regards to scanning uh, both the real estate industry as well as the insurance industry in terms of investment in sustainable strategies as well as um, what is being insured and what's, what is uh, what what is coming in at higher premiums as well as how many companies um, are setting science-based targets um, and this last bullet um, is interesting, because I, I feel like anecdotally, we hear a lot of uh, stories about large corporations, large companies now asking their suppliers to report on transparency of building materials. So it's not just that the company has a goal and you know is going to purchase carbon offsets for its energy use, but that we're also seeing where they're buying everything from um, replacement lamps for their light fixtures to paper plates they're looking for some transparency in reporting especially for embodied carbon and then the other aspect of reducing embodied carbon is looking at it with the lens of the other green how does this potentially um, result in some some savings uh, so one of the strategies for reducing embodied carbon isn't just specifying new materials that are lower in it, but thinking about how to play into the circular economy. There was a session in this little... Room here yesterday talking about the circular economy and uh, looking at reuse, material reuse or refurbishment as opposed to replacing it uh, without, you know, without regard of what's what's there. Because a lot of materials have a much longer useful life than the traditional lease term. So there are potential savings there for material reuse. Um, we see this a lot actually with furniture. Um, but there, there, there's, a, there's a lot of aspects of a typical build-out that have parts and pieces that could be reused or put back into the, put back into the manufacturing stream with um, material take-back programs, for example, as well. So I'm going to um, show you two examples of things that we're doing right now um, to reduce embodied carbon. Our... Um, our firm has taken a pretty heavy stance on the reduction of carbon in general of total carbon and I'll show you what that's going to look like in a minute um, and then I'll close with a, a case study where we use ourselves as guinea pigs to say what is what is embodied carbon reduced embodied carbon really look like in terms of workplace um, so this first uh, set of, of slides that I'm going to go through here um, is something that we launched uh, in April of this year. We call it the carbon forecast tool, and we've committed to doing this on every one of our projects moving forward starting in 2023. This looks at total carbon, and it looks at it at a very early stage in design. So whether it's a renovation project, whether it's new construction, how do we start to tackle the carbon loads, whether they are operational or embodied, um, while we're making design decisions so that we can make the most informed decisions we can. So ideally, what's going to happen, again, we're saying we're launching this in 2023. um, But each project has this five-page report out. Um, In this case, it's Kaiser Borsari Hall. Um, But what we're looking at is the whole life carbon of of a project. So we we have a path to embodied carbon reduction, where we look at uh, the the baseline what what is the baseline for this type of project we look at the early phase design so ideally this is done in the um, schematic design phase or at the end of schematic design before you move into design development so, is that a pointer you can 't see the pointer um, that early design phase are we already making decisions that could potentially reduce embodied carbon, and then a series of additional strategies that could potentially get us to um, a lower if not a net zero embodied carbon uh, situation to a place what we call optimized design? These are all conversations that we have with our client through the design process in the next several phases to to basically. Present the information and have that conversation to say these are the ways we see that you could take this project from better than you know in this case thirty four percent better than baseline to potentially zero embodied carbon. We do the same thing for operational carbon, so this is that 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 gray smoke we see coming out of our of our smoke sacks. Um, How much can we reduce energy use and translate that to embodied carbon, or excuse me, operational carbon savings? But then, are there additional strategies that either we haven't uh, fully vetted yet or that we uh, would like to introduce as emerging technologies that could actually reduce that uh, operational carbon level even further? Do we then add in on-site renewables, which is that dark green uh, little box there, to a place where we can get to the lowest possible carbon for our building operationally? And the last slide of that exercise of this forecast tool basically puts that all together to a point where we say, here's the lowest carbon potential this project can have at this point in time. Where do we get? How do we get to zero after that? It's probably through purchasing of offsets. So again, that's another conversation we have during the design process with our with our clients. But at least this gives um, our clients at a very early stage a roadmap to a potentially net zero carbon building and it gives them the opportunity to price out these options ahead of time it gives them the opportunity to build this into the story of the project itself whether they're using that to attract tenants for a commercial office building or they're attracting students for a university And then we also, at the end, give them a savings equivalent to put this into some sort of perspective, because not everybody understands what a metric ton of carbon looks like or what it feels like. So, we try to give that a certain amount of trees, a certain amount of homes being powered at the same time to give a a more reasonable uh, conversational equivalent. So, this is a tool we're rolling out on all of our projects, whether the client's asking or not, because we feel like design has a major opportunity and a Responsibility to to step this forward. Um, the last set of slides I'm going to show you is kind of again, what is does imbo- lower embodied carbon actually look like? We are starting to do this in our. Uh, Workplace studio in Washington, D.C. Last year, we uh, committed to, by 2030, our designs out of the Washington, D.C. interior studio will be net zero embodied carbon by 2030. We figured no better place to start than walking the walk with our space. We just moved into new space last year, a little over 11,000 square feet on the second floor of this adaptive reuse. The building used to be a parking garage for uh, the Secret Service in Washington, D.C. Prior to that, it was jfk's campaign headquarters and prior to that it was the uh, best performing cadillac dealership in washington dc so it has a story behind it the building has a story Um, we kept the bones um, because the structure was still in good shape we had to fill in a couple of ramps uh, because we obviously didn't need to park cars on the second and third floor anymore Um, but now we took over this second floor our the building is lead gold we're currently targeting for our space, LEED Gold, Well Platinum, fit well Three Stars, and Living Challenge uh, pedal certification. But we also wanted to figure out how to measure a reduction in embodied carbon. So we broke it down into essentially eight different reduction strategies. Everything from the repurposing of the existing building through material selection and carbon sequestration to can we design for a more circular economy. So just taking you through a couple of those different uh, different strategies here. Um, a lot of this had to do with how we manipulated the space and uh, what materials we chose to bring into the space or deliberately chose not to bring into the space so you 'll see a lot of um, finished veneer plywood. We chose, for example, not to put plastic laminate on a lot of our millwork. It saves material, reduces the carbon footprint by just using less material, but wood in and of itself is a carbon sequestration tool. Um, we also chose to expose concrete in a lot of spaces, not under the workspaces, but in a lot of our higher traffic spaces. Again, uh, eliminating embodied carbon by, by not using as much flooring material. Um, We looked at material selection with respect to our countertops, for example. Um, We chose large format porcelain for our countertops instead of solid surface because of the carbon footprint that we were able to understand through environmental product declarations from the manufacturers. We obviously repurposed the existing building, but we chose to expose a lot of the structure, both because we're architects and designers and we geek out about that stuff, but also because that was, again, saving on the material of the gypsum board and the furring strips and everything else that you would have otherwise clad those 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 elements in. Um, We did a lot of research for the manufacturers that we were using for our finished materials, so we wanted to make sure that we were um, specifying manufacturers that have either carbon offset programs, material take-back programs, or or have uh, third-party verified environmental product declarations about their materials. We also looked at material reuse, that circular economy uh, principle of understanding that not everything has to be trashed after 10 years of a lease. So we, we actually brought with us some of our furniture that was in really good condition, like these orange chairs here. We looked at ways to minimize uh um trash and 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 waste at the end of the project whenever we decide to vacate or move so um our our storefronts are in our little team rooms and things like that are made of demountable partitions so we can actually reconfigure them or bring them with us to our next location if we move um and in particular our carpet um, was specified from manufacturers that have take-back programs for upcy- upcycling their material at the end of uh, when we're done with it. So, the, the carpet can actually be sent back to the manufacturer, ground up, and, and put into new, uh, new carpet. So, all of this gets put into lots of software that I won't bore you with all of the charts and graphs, um, except this one. This is a Sankey diagram, which I think just kind of cool. Um, But basically, each one of those colors is a different product category. And the long story short is that by using the different strategies we just talked about, we were able to achieve a 56% reduction in embodied carbon. And that was without any major design changes. We were already going to an open office with unassigned desks. That was actually a pre-pandemic decision. Um, so a lot of it was just doing our research, um, figuring out where we could change change out some approaches to finishes and to the way we looked at um, how we use our space. And we're currently completing our second interiors build out for a client now in Washington, D.C., where we're doing this same process. It's on track to, for about 65 percent embodied carbon reduction um that's the actual end product so we do actually work there um it is not just show space but it is usable and very pleasant daylit workspace it doesn't look too different from a lot of other designers offices it might look different from an accountant's office but um but again we wanted to make sure we were uh walking the walk and we figured no no better place to start than our brand new brand new office that's what I got for you. Do you have any questions? I don't know how we are in time. I have like a minute and a half. So the embodied carbon for office. you the question was, did we have a target for lowering embodied carbon for our office? The answer is no. Um, when we started the design, it was before we decided we were actually going to focus on embodied carbon. So we were really just hoping we would get to past fifty percent. That was really what we were hoping for. But we don't have like we didn't have a uh, a, a specific target. But again, our um, our interiors studio has committed to. 100% reduction by 2030. So this felt like a really good step in the right direction if we were already at over 56% with some fairly modest you know design decisions and changes. So any other questions? So the question was, is, is there ever going to be a rating system for embodied carbon? Um- Many manufacturers are electing to do this on their own. Uh, We heard from a carpet manufacturer yesterday actually in this classroom here that's putting it on the back of their carpet samples where it actually says it. Um, The best source that is sort of uh, comparable is using environmental product declarations, which are often third-party verified, or they can be third-party verified. Um, That's the best means we have right now for that level of comparing apples to apples for transparency, the challenge is, and I was trying to think of like the right analogy. It's not like a nutrition label um, because you know a nutrition label tells you what's in the food you're eating. And a lot of the the carbon that we say is represented by a piece of carpet or a piece of gypsum board has already been expelled into the atmosphere. So it's not in that material. And the manufacturer has the ability to change it over time, which is one of the reasons why third-party verified environmental product declarations that we use to, to look at embodied carbon values typically are only good for somewhere between three and five years. They actually have an expiration date. So it's not quite like a nutrition label. And we... It, But we're kind of getting there. And I think we're seeing a lot more manufacturers offering these EPDs that tell us what's in the material. And then this, we can put right into the the software. So as we're doing our virtual model, um, we can map a specific materials carbon footprint to help us create that diagram at the end of the day that tells us what our reduction is. Does that make sense? Cool. We um, we, we actually, for the, the diagram I showed you, we actually excluded the structure of the building. So it was, we, we did two different projects. We did the modernization of the building as one project, and then our office was separate. So that 56% reduction was just the interior build-out. I was just really calling attention to the fact that we didn't clad the existing structure and things like that. I think I'm going to have to wrap up to get our next group in. But thank you very much for listening. Hope you have a good rest of your day.